Why is your business not a million dollar business? Or let's say your goal is 5 million. Let's say your goal is 10 million. Let's say your goal is 20 million. Oh, why is it not that yet? Because you don't deserve it yet. You don't have the skills. You don't have the knowledge. You are not worthy. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Chris, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on why failure is necessary for growth and improvement, how setbacks sort people, and why success leaves clues, but failure leaves fingerprints. If I didn't change anything that I was doing from number one to number 21, I would have kept going to 100 and 200 and 300 with the same degree of failure because I wasn't iterating and I wasn't evolving and I wasn't learning. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Welcome to another AMMA. Thanks, Michael. Here we go. All right, let's do this thing and we will keep doing this thing until not one person, but a whole group of people say they do not want to anymore. And at the end of the day, it is the data that will tell us if no one listens to these things, we'll stop doing them. But these have become our most popular episodes and the feedback we've been getting is that people love them. So these are AMMAs. If you're tuning in for the first time, the second time or the 300th time, this is a Ask Michael Mogul Anything episode. It's a little bit different from our other episodes, but with this one, you guys can submit any question that you like. You can text us at 404-531-7691. And if you ask a good enough question, we will answer it on the podcast. We do three types of episodes. These AMMAs are one. The other ones are your traditional interview style podcast format episodes. So those are amazing. Those feature experts in the legal industry and outside of the legal industry, elite athletes, best-selling authors, all sorts of incredible human beings, and we literally dissect their brains and their neurons and figure out how they fire. And then we provide those insights on the podcast. And then also, for those of you that have recently tuned in the podcast, maybe been listening for the past year, we have some incredible Hall of Fame edition episodes, which are our encore editions, which we also bring back. So those are absolutely incredible. You know, sometimes if you look back in your life and you like read a book one time, it has one message for you and you kind of have one certain takeaway. And then a few years later, you've grown, evolved and developed and you're ready to hear a different message, reading the same book or listening to the same type of interview. So that is the value of the encore edition. Sometimes people are ready to hear it. Sometimes they are not. On that note, I'm ready to hear what the questions are. Let's see if people listening on the other end are ready to hear what the answers are. All right. All right. I think they do want to know the answers if they submitted them. So maybe they got lucky. Batching these together. So out of the thousands of questions we've got now, we are going to hone in today on failure. That's a big part of any business. So first and foremost, Michael, why do some of my team members bounce back from failures while others stay down and can't seem to find their footing again? Well, because in life, sometimes you have winners and other times you have losers. I don't know. I don't think there's much truth to that. I think that's the answer sometimes people want to hear. Some people got it. Some people don't. But if you really want to break down, why is it that one person responds to a certain type of setback in 
a positive way and another person reframes that and let's say they respond to it in a negative way. So one person can take a punch, they come back stronger. One person takes a punch and they stay down on the ground, they don't get back up. What is the difference between the two? Carol Dweck, a pioneering study, wrote the book Growth Mindset. A lot of it is based on how we interpret our setbacks. So basically, our mindset is the lens through which we see the world. It is the way in which we interpret information. Some people see setbacks as obstacles and bad things, and other people see setbacks as opportunities for growth and learning and change. And some people believe they are stuck and innate with their existing capabilities and skills and their IQ and that they've just been dealt the hand that they've been dealt. And others believe that the mind is malleable and they can develop their skills and capabilities and that anything that happens to them is really happening for them. There's a very big difference there. So you may be dealing with that in terms of some of your team members. It really is as a function of how they perceive setbacks and adversities. And I think that as leaders, we can help people interpret any sort of failure. And I say failure in quotes because I don't think you really have true failure until you stop, until you quit. Failure for me is an end destination. I think anything in between is just data and problem solving, right? It's like Thomas Edison thing. You could say how many times did he fail? Did he really fail? And then this guy invents the light bulb. If he actually did, I don't know what the revisionist history is like, but you guys understand the point I'm trying to make. Anyway, I think that if you can help your team interpret, let's say some sort of, I say in quotes, failure, there was some sort of decision that was made. It led to an outcome that was not the desired outcome. You can look at that and say, well, at the very least, what is the data that we gain back? What is the lesson that we've learned here? Because you really don't learn a whole lot from your successes, but you do learn a lot from setbacks. And I often find that the most successful individuals long-term have also had the greatest amount of setbacks because they've also had the greatest amount of learning as a result. So if you start to reframe those things, one, you create a culture where failure, in quotes, is not seen as a negative thing. It's actually seen as here's how we make progress and here's how we evolve and we develop. You actually create a better culture of innovation and being much more progressive. And then also somebody doesn't feel so bad for trying something new or making a so-called mistake. And as you do this over enough periods of time, now someone starts to reframe the so-called setbacks as really opportunities for growth. And you could create a more resilient human being. You know, it also depends on what the size of the setback is. If you make a mistake, let's say there's a spelling error versus a seven-figure error. Those are going to be two different mistakes in terms of magnitude. But if you can always, as a leader, highlight what was the lesson here. remember thinking back years and years ago, somebody had made at the time, I think it was a $10,000 mistake. Maybe it was like a $20,000 mistake. And I remember when they made this mistake, they were horrified. They were thinking that Mike was going to fire me. And I think that they were surprised to learn that I did not fire them. And they said, well, why aren't you going to fire me? And I said, well, here's the thing. You've made this mistake and you know it was a mistake and now you've learned from it. So you're not going to make it again. But if I fire you and I hire somebody new, they haven't made that mistake yet. So they now have the opportunity to make the same mistake again. I know you're not going to do it. And they said, okay, that actually makes sense. Now, that's not to say you should have unlimited tolerance for any kind of mistakes and errors. But the first time somebody makes a mistake, okay, it is learning. If you make the same mistake again, you're not learning. And that's something you can't have tolerance for. We have to be able to evolve. So repeated mistakes are absolutely unacceptable. Making a mistake or dealing with a setback one time, I think, can represent an opportunity for growth and learning and expansion of capabilities. So I think that's really the difference between the two. It's just in the way in which they frame these things. Is this something that is a negative or is it a positive? And if you can frame these as a positive as, okay, now I have an opportunity to learn from this and grow and develop my skills and ultimately my capabilities, well, then you're going to find that sometimes the people who make the most mistakes, the ones that have the most setbacks are also going to become the most resilient and most adaptable and most capable and ultimately the most successful. It's just like if you're going to send somebody to trial, they've never lost a case, right? Would you bet on that person or the person who's lost tons of cases over decades worth of career and they have now experienced so many different things and they've got a much stronger mindset and they deal with adversity better? So it's less about protecting that undefeated record and perhaps becoming a more resilient and adaptable human being 
because that's who you want to bet on. When things get tough, that's where you start to see the difference between who you really want to have in the foxhole with you and who you don't. And I find that the ones who are the most capable of dealing with adversity are also the ones who've dealt with the most adversity. Yeah. And one thing you said there, even when you said the spelling error, something as small as that, my mind goes to, I failed, but now what guardrails can I put in place to not make that mistake again? So look at it also from full operation perspective. Absolutely. We see this a lot. Let's say the sales team. If anyone loses a deal, I say, great. Chris Voss says, it's not a sin to lose the deal. It's a sin to take a long time to lose the deal. And I also say, hey, by the way, in case anyone's curious, do you want to know who the greatest loser of deals is in the history of Crisp? If you could add up all the losses combined, who has the highest amount of losses? It is me. So it's okay. Take comfort in that. But then you also say, okay, well, who else has the most wins? The Wayne Gretzky expression, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And you see people in sports, the ones that are in the Hall of Fame. When you look at some of the records and certain metrics, they could be perceived as the greatest so-called failures. But they're the greatest successes because they make the most attempts and they learn from those attempts. Yes, exactly. All right, next one. So sometimes I think back to my past business losses and looking back, realize they were actually blessings in disguise. Have you ever had that experience? Yes, all the time. I mean, we all have to find our ways to heal from our traumas, right? So meaning that we characterize our past as productive and good things for us, which I actually think is very important. I'm making a joke here. So if you look back on your past and say, oh, I was such a fool. I was such X, Y, Z, bad person. I made all these errors and mistakes. That's one way of doing things. And you're always going to guilt yourself. Generally, it's a bad idea to have a negative view or abuse your past self. At the end of the day, you are who you are. And would you still be that person had it not been for previous decision-making, previous errors, previous mistakes, because many times those things happen for you. So yes, I think that a lot of times we contextualize a lot of losses and past losses and past mistakes and errors in the business as actually things that were in our favor. And even though we didn't realize it at the time, sometimes it's easier to connect the dots backwards than it is forwards. So if you can revisit a past situation and say, well, if it weren't for that, then it wouldn't have led to the next thing. It wouldn't have led to the next thing. It wouldn't have led to the next thing. And here I am today, right? So even the most negative things can be seen as ultimately positives. I think back several years ago, I remember we had just signed on a firm. This is towards the end of the year. And this was a seven-figure contract. This person even paid up front. We had our annual target set for the company and it was to be tied to like a team profit share. This was again in December. This number got us there. The entire team stood to benefit. And then we learned very quickly within the first week that this firm owner was not a good fit for our organization. They were very disrespectful with the team. We would call them names, wouldn't show up to calls, was very inconsistent in terms of our values. So my options were at the time, tolerate it, endure it, and ultimately the team benefits from a financial standpoint because we hit our year end target and everybody gets the profit share and bonuses or return this person's money, which is a seven figure amount, was not a small amount and potentially put the year-end bonus and the profit share for the entire team in jeopardy. So what do you do? Well, at the time, this is a very difficult decision because that amount of money was something that made an enormous impact on the business. It was one of the largest accounts we'd had at the time. But what did I end up doing? Well, I reached out to this individual and politely let them know that we had wired the money back to them and that we would be politely transitioning out of the relationship because they were not a good fit for our organization. Now, I thought at the time, have I made a huge mistake? Is this going to be a huge loss of the business? Is the team going to respond potentially negatively to this, knowing that they may not be getting year-end bonuses and they wouldn't be getting a profit share? But the response was actually quite the opposite. And I think the team responded in a way where they saw that we had their back, number one, and as a result rallied and we ended up hitting the year-end target anyway. 
I think the culture you create is either going to be by default or by design. And any decision that you make, if you are tolerating, let's say, certain clients and the way in which they treat your team negatively and calling them names, using profanity, that sort of thing, then your team is probably not going to love where they work. They're not going to feel valued. They're not going to feel respected. And any short-term monetary gain ultimately is going to run out. Alternatively, if they see that you have their back, they're in a safe environment, you actually live by the values that are on the posters in your organization, then you're often going to see a very different response. And in this case, like I said, the team rallied together. So what seemed like a short-term loss ended up be a long-term gain. So I think that's one way of reframing it. But even things that are negative, business is tough. I don't advocate starting a business to anybody. And between late nights and difficult conversations and people effing you over and then not knowing what problems lay in store for you on any given day, all these things that in so-called quotes can happen to you, would you be the leader that you are were it not for those situations that allowed you the opportunity to grow and develop? You want to become a patient person? One of the best ways to become a patient person is to be put in situations that try your patience, right? So how do you develop certain skills and capabilities? Well, you have to be put in environments that require you to develop those skills and capabilities. Yep, exactly. All right. Last one here on failure. You have shared before how it took 21 consecutive failures before finally succeeding on your 22nd attempt. I'm curious, when you look back, do you think any of those setbacks actually helped you? 100%. It's interesting, along the lines of even the previous question. So for those that are unfamiliar, 22 has been somewhat of a lucky number for me in the organization because it was through 21 consecutive presentations, pitches, what I would meet with clients when I was trying to start Crisp before we could get our first client. I met with 21 different organizations and tried to sell them on the value video at the time. And every single one of them told me no. And these weren't emails I fired off or texts or anything like that. These were full in-person presentations. I drove to their office or we had a full conference call, which then led to a meeting, which then led to a rejection. So 21 consecutive times. And then on the 22nd, that's where we landed our first client. So that's what the significance of the 22. Every single one helped. And now that I can really properly reflect at the time, because back then, fortunately, I was stubborn, right? So I was discouraged, but I wasn't discouraged enough to stop. So I just kept going. People are like, well, how long would you would have kept going? And I'm like, well, as long as it took. So maybe it wouldn't have happened at 22, maybe it would have happened at 42. But every single one, now that I reflect on it in a very objective way, was an indicator to me saying, you are not ready or you do not deserve this yet. You do not have these skills. You do not have the capabilities. You are not worthy. And when we fail, let's say in business, there's going to be people who take a lesson the wrong way. They don't actually gain the lesson from it. They start to blame external environments. They start to look at, well, this is not fair, or they basically victimize themselves as saying that this is unfortunate. This is a sad reality for them. This is bad luck. They did not have the conditions they needed, whatever, right? Somebody else was lucky or somebody else was dealt a better hand, whatever. But if you take the true lesson away from this, it is really that when you do not get what you want, you are not ready for it yet. Why is your business not a million dollar business? Or let's say your goal is 5 million. Let's say your goal is 10 million. Let's say your goal is 20 million. Oh, why is it not that yet? Because you don't deserve it yet. You don't have the skills. You don't have the knowledge. You are not worthy. And the first two words to making progress is I'm responsible. So things, let's say in your life or in your business or in your firm may not be your fault. Maybe there's situations that are completely not your fault, but they are your responsibility. 
And when you can say, I'm responsible, you begin to take ownership of a situation and you truly reflect and say, well, maybe the reason I don't have the thing that I want or I don't have the outcome that I want is because I don't deserve the outcome that I want yet. And maybe I need to look and say, why don't I deserve it? And maybe it's because I don't have the skills or maybe I don't have the knowledge and I don't have the capabilities. And the single best thing that you can do in that situation is seek out the knowledge and seek out the skills and fine tune, right? So it's like, why did we win the game? You look at this in football, for example. Oh, did we lose the game because the refs? Or did we lose the game because the kicker missed the field goal at the end of the game? That's why we lost? Wrong. Okay? That was just an event that happened on the way to losing the game, but it wasn't the only thing that happened. Maybe we lost the game because we did not prepare effectively for the game. Maybe that comes back to how we were watching film, how we were preparing for practice, even all the way back to how we were recruiting players. So when you look at it that way and saying, well, we didn't win, not because they got lucky and it looks like they just got lucky at the last second, right? Well, if you're relying on someone to have to get lucky at the end or any one event, well, then one, probably not going to have many successful outcomes that way because you don't want to rely on luck in the first place. But two, you are not taking the lesson the right way and you're not putting yourself in a position to succeed. And the best thing you can do is actually reflect on why you're not getting what you want. Have an honest conversation with yourself, honestly reflect on that and develop your skills. So for example, in my case, on the way to that 22nd presentation and pitch when I was failing, let's say 21 consecutive times, each time I was getting another repetition in and I was learning and I was growing and I was improving. Each time the presentation got a little bit better. Each time when I spoke, I became a little bit more succinct in terms of what I was presenting. I had more confidence in what I was presenting. I was more knowledgeable about what I was presenting. I was better in terms of handling the dynamic and the relationship. There was things that I was doing better at attempt number 18 than when I was doing it attempt number two. And if I didn't change anything that I was doing from number one to number 21, I would have kept going to 100 and 200 and 300 with the same degree of failure because I wasn't iterating and I wasn't evolving and I wasn't learning. And that is called insanity. So that's where we have to reflect and realize that if we're not getting what we want, it's because we don't deserve it and we are not worthy of it. And the only way you can become that is if you look inward and say, well, what do I have to not just do, but what type of person do I have to become in order to get the outcomes that I want. So meaning that from their skills, to your capabilities, to your growth as a leader, et cetera. And when you do that, now you start actually making progress and now you start evolving. So was all these 21 consecutive failures helping me? Absolutely, absolutely. Every single one was necessary, without a doubt. Things happen for us, not to us. 100%, that's a good way to wrap it up there. There we go, we'll see you guys next time. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book absolutely free at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com. Oh, 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 oh,